Welcome to Away From The Keyboard. We give you a glimpse into the lives, interests, and tech behind today's technologists. Please join our hosts, Cecil Phillip and Richie Rump, as we get away from the keyboard. Welcome to Away From The Keyboard, where technologists tell their stories of how they started, how they grew, how they learned, and how they unwind. My name's Richie Rump, and with me I have my co-host, Cecil Phillip. What's going on, Cecil? Not much, Richie. How you doing, man? Pretty good, man. So you may hear just a little bit of background noise today, and we're actually doing the intros in the same room, which I'm not quite sure we've ever done before, but <laughs> we are actually at the Podcast Movement Conference. So for those of you guys that are not sure what that is, Podcast Movement is actually a conference for podcasters where they get together and we learn about the crafts. We learn about how to make better quality audio. We talk about advertising. We talk about sponsorships. You know, they talk about how do you actually craft a story and actually do good interviews. Yeah. I think one of the things that really hit me this conference is it's been very inspirational as far as getting started and continuing, I don't want to say the grind, but continuing pumping out episodes and really great content. Hearing Lou Mangello speak, and, you know, we've, we've mentioned him before, and he was one of the guys that really helped us bring away from the keyboard to fruition. Hear him talk about 10 things that you should be paying attention in a podcast has been, has been really great. What about you, man? Is there anything that really popped out to you from this weekend that, that really kind of grabbed you? You know, I think in general for me, it was really just a validation of a lot of the thoughts that we've had and a lot of the things that we've tried have actually been, been right. Yeah, I think we've made a lot of good decisions, and I think we've also seen some things that we definitely need to pay attention to and, and tweak a little bit. You know, particularly like how we how do we try and bring out the real story out of our interviewer interviewees that we have. So for me, I'm just really excited to get back to South Florida and get back to recording and interviewing people and you know keep the show going. So speaking of keeping the show going, we have an event coming up pretty soon, and that's TechNet at the ballpark. So Tech Night at the Ballpark is going to be held on Tuesday, August 25th, 2015. It's going to be at Marlins Ballpark in Miami. It's going to start at 5.30, and we've got a pregame party. That's going to be 5.30 to 7 o'clock. And then at 7.02 and 32 seconds or whatever crazy baseball time they have, that's when the ball game actually starts. So the cool thing about Tech Night at the Ballpark is that it's an event not just for developers, not just for DBAs, but it's for the entire South Florida IT community, and we all get together and have a really great time. $15 gets you into the door, gets you into the ball game, gets you in the pregame party, gets you drink ticket, gets you appetizers. It's a really great time. It's a family environment, so if you want to bring your family, it's cool to do that. You can buy your tickets at www.technightattheballpark.com. Tickets going fast. Get yours today. See, I'm really looking forward to Tech Night at the Ballpark. I remember we went last year and had a great time, and I definitely know it's going to be a really good time again this year. Yeah, it would be cool to see some uh, Away From The Keyboard listeners and um, have a little, little conversation with them. That would be great. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Yep. So who are we talking to today, Cecil? So today, we actually had the opportunity to speak to Miss Julie Lerman. So I know we've actually mentioned Julie's name a few times before in the show, but... Yep. This time, you know, we had the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with her. So I'm really glad that we're able to bring this conversation to you, our listeners, finally. So a little bit about Julie. Julie's been programming and mentoring other developers for over 25 years. She's the leading independent authority on NED Framework. She's the author of programming NED Framework books. Really great books. Yeah, really good books. You know, I read them every time I get a chance to, to work with NED Framework. She's also done books specifically on Code First and DDBB Context. Julie's a Microsoft MVP, ASP Insider, Pluralsight author, and conference speaker around the world. And she has authored the monthly MSDN magazine data points column since 2010. Julie lives in Vermont, where she has run the Vermont.net user group since 2002. That's pretty awesome. That's a long time to run the user group. That's a long time, man. Yeah. That's definitely some dedication right there. Yeah, that's awesome. You can follow Julie's blog and other industry activities at thedatafarm.com. And keep track of her every thought on Twitter at Julie Lerman. This episode was recorded on June 23rd, 2015. And now, our conversation with Julie Lerman. And now... Away from the keyboard's feature conversation. Giant puppy. Giant you puppy. don't know about Giant puppy. He even has a oh, Twitter I, account. I, I know about Giant puppy. <laughs> yeah. Well, he doesn't understand when his mommy's gone. 
<laughs> Poor baby. I think. Who knows? <laughs> what is Giant Puppy? Tell our audience. Samson is a seven-year-old Newfoundland dog who we adopted him when he was a year and a half. He was a wild animal when we got him. He had he came from a puppy mill originally, was sold to a pet store, lived there until he was 10 months old, if you can believe that, mm. and then was bought by some people who I guess didn't really know much about big dogs. So they took this, you know, huge puppy home because Newfoundlands are large. People are more familiar with St. Bernard's, so that size of a dog. So he was this huge puppy and they had a five-year-old kid who was terrified of him because all he wanted to do was play with this kid. He knew no rules about interacting with people or dogs or anything. So they crated him for six months. Oh. Yeah, so they didn't train him. And then he went to uh, Newfie Rescue where he was well taken care of, but still, you know, he wasn't in the house and uh, he wasn't really trained. So we got him at a year and a half and he was already, already pretty big, 120 pounds. And he knew nothing at all about how to, how to be with people or other dogs. But now he's awesome. It's a lot of work. Oh, geez. Yeah. That sounds like a that sounds like a movie that needs to be made. Oh, wait. I think they have made that movie. <laughs> I sometimes I feel bad talking about his history because that's like another dog, you know. And like he's he's awesome. He's wonderful. Happy, happy, happy boy with a Twitter account. So how did he end up with a Twitter account? I don't know. I, I haven't figured out how he tweets either. I just don't know. <laughs> Someone's paying the sale bill. Yeah. Yeah, especially because uh I don't I don't even have his account set up on my phone. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if he's tweeting when I'm not at home, then something something's up. So a lot of our listeners and I think probably with me and Richie more so, like we know you for like you're like the entity framework person. You know, like you literally are the person when people talk about entity framework. But another thing that I think you're you're really well known for, or at least that I I consider you really good at, is is being an author. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was I was, was holding really... my breath. <laughs> what was going to come? <laughs> you thought up I was going to say something really scary? Didn't you? I, well, you know, all those Fox Pro two point six tweets. I thought they were going to come back and bite me. <laughs> I knew I said something about Fox Pro. I was holding on to it. I was holding on. I was going for VB3, but you know. <laughs> I started with VB5. Uh, yeah, I think oh. I started with 5. Oh, you're already 32-bit. Look at that. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I didn't mean to um, set your question aside. No, so I'll let you finish it now. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So I guess what I really wanted to know is what is it like as a, as a technical person going through the process of writing a book and preparing you know, the material and working with publishers and stuff like that. Because I'm, I'm guessing that's that's not something a lot of us technical folk know about or understand what the oh. process is like. Oh, it's an interesting question. Well, I will start with, it's a lot of work. One of the things I bring to the table is the go big or go home attitude. But I think I do that with everything. And what I mean by that, I, I don't mean a 900-page book or nothing. <laughs> that was accidental. Well, um... <laughs> I, I meant... Don't just put pen to paper. I really am so careful about every statement I'm making and everything that I'm doing. Not that, I mean, there's sometimes maybe a, a typo that 17 people miss that gets in the book. And, and I'm not saying that every line of code I write, every pattern I use is perfection, but I'm just really careful about what I'm saying. I research, I test, I test, I try everything out before I put it down to paper. So it's a lot of work. But the other really interesting thing was the first book I wrote, you know, I had all this stuff in my head and I just like, I always say, just kind of like, barfed it onto paper and not literally paper because, you know, typing it on a computer. And I really didn't have it really well organized. I just had to get it out of my head. And I had, I was working with O'Reilly. It was amazing working with O'Reilly because they gave me an editor, and I mean a real editor, or an editor who knows how to write and, and redlined my book. So and that that was John Osborne. And I've talked to other authors who have written for O'Reilly who've had John as an editor. And they're like, yep, he taught me how to write. He really taught me about structure and totally reorganized everything I'd written. Anyway, so 
That was huge. Plus, they had a copy editor who was also amazing. As a matter of fact, when I did the second book, I like insisted that they get her again because she was so good. So it was really, really great, especially for first book, having that kind of team and having that kind of support. And then they I didn't have all I had to do is write. Not that that wasn't a lot of work. So it was that first book. It took me like a year. And also that was the first version of Entity Framework that was way before like the EF team was totally transparent and they were doing all kinds of, I mean, there wasn't even documentation, much less, you know, all the stuff that they have on their site now and Rowan Miller doing all these great videos and, you know, all that content that they create. So I was figuring out a lot of stuff on my own, but the team was also really, really supportive too. So, uh, you know, it was before Entity Framework was open source, right? So I would just email them a lot and they were really, really helpful because I was kind of documenting Entity Framework for them. So that was, yeah, writing it was uh, a lot of work. And one thing I will never do is, and I did not keep track of the time. I can just tell you it took a year and I will not even try to think about how much I make per hour. Because <laughs> <If you laughs> that's not why you do it. I was like, if I had to write that book, I had been, I'd got to the point where when I wanted to write an article for like MSDN or Code Magazine, they'd be like, you cannot have it more than 4,000 words. I'm like, but it's not enough. I need more. There's so, <laughs> you know, so much. It was like, I was going to explode if I didn't write that book. And I think that's a really, really important thing for people who are at contemplating writing a book because you're not doing it for the money. Right? Unless, I mean, there's some books that they take off, but also the whole book thing has changed so much. I don't know if you've noticed, I haven't written one in a while. <laughs> that was going to be one of my questions. Yeah. And I, you know, I've been, I've really loved the format of Pluralsight and everything about how that works. So I've really been putting that same amount of effort, go big or go home effort, quality and everything into the Pluralsight videos than the into writing books. And I feel really bad every once in a while, somebody would be like, oh, please, you know, write another version of that book. I'm like, it's just, I, I just can't afford to do it. I just can't afford to do it again. Yeah. I know when I was first learning any framework, your books were reference material. Like they just, they just kind of sat on my desk and just flipped through them. Like it, like a daily reference. Great. You know, how, that's how that's great. I'm really happy to hear that because I really, yeah, I was... mean, I really dug in to provide people that kind of information. Like you could read like skip chapters, but then when you want to go back and really learn something in depth, because I am a plumber. I like to know how things work, right? I, I want to know how things work. I just assume other people do too. <laughs> you know, otherwise skim over that page. <laughs> For your first edition of the programming framework, I was really looking forward to it. I remember being at PDC 08, and I think I met you there then. Where was that? Was that in Los Angeles? That was. I may have been there. I can't remember. That was. And I, I remember I kept going asking, I was like, when is this book going to come out? Because I was on a project where we implemented the, it wasn't even in, I think it finally it had gone to beta, but we had implemented Entity Framework 1.0 when it was in beta. And we Ooh, had moved the thing to production. Ooh, ow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly what we were feeling uh, because this thing was soon through production. It was slow. Yeah. I mean, just well, slow. you know, that's the thing with that book. It, if the first version of Entity Framework was, you know, if you were doing enterprise level stuff, it, there, there was just a lot of limitations. But there were ways to accomplish things. And that was one of the things I was doing, like figuring out, like really digging down into the APIs and figuring out how to, how to do that stuff. Now, a lot of those kinds of patterns that people need, you know, it's, it's a little more high level and easier to access and everything. So you don't need it. But uh, yeah, that was one of the things I was, I was trying to do It's like, look, it's not easy, but I, you know, I can show you how to, do some of the things I know you're going to need to do. 
if you really want to, if you want to use it. <laughs> I don't mean to say if you really want to use it. I mean, really I, wanna... I worked with clients where, you know, they were using the first version and they were doing some pretty intense stuff. And, you know, they would bring me in to help them really determine whether or not they should be doing it, you know, if it was up to the task. And I had clients who I was basically going, I don't, I don't think you want to do that. But they, there were things that they loved about it so much. For example, being able to have the model in a way that they could express it to everybody on the team, like, and then, mm-hmm. and then getting around the complexities that they wanted to deal with, they were like so smart. Oh, we can write that. They come back the next day and, the, and they're like, oh, I stayed up last night and look what I did. I, you know, they like built their own second level caching scenario, solution or something <laughs> like, okay, you got this. So, but Richie, was this before you were like Mr. Hardcore database guy? I, I was actually a, an architect at the time. Okay. It really was before I was doing a lot of the physical modeling mm-hmm. uh, from a database side. So yeah, I guess it was it was before that. But I was doing a lot of software architecture and data modeling. So we had actually implemented a whole bunch of data model patterns, you know, from the, the Silverson book and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. We applied that and put Entity Framework one on top of it. It was, I mean, we were getting queries that were like fifty-seven pages long and, and things like that, and uh, that PDC in 2008, in fact, I think that was when they announced Azure as huh. well. We cornered the EF team and we, we sat there for about two hours well, and we went over our entire model. and stuff that, pe- that like all this really non-obvious stuff and mistakes, yeah. things that were so easy to trip you up. Like yeah. having TPT inheritance and then doing a query. And that's what we had. <laughs> yeah, that's usually it. And doing a query that it, the, a query that involved a property of the base class, and then yeah. Entity Framework had to go through and basically query all the tables because it wasn't gonna, it didn't know which types it was, it was gonna find what it needed in. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen that. So I actually had a client in. Uh, Switzerland, I oh god, that was awesome having a client in Switzerland that flew me there, business class, and it was in Switzerland. You know, it was nice. Uh, that does not happen often. Anyway, so they, you know, one of the things they showed me, like they're doing a query that literally returned a single value, and it took really long time to execute, and it had three or four thousand lines of SQL, oh. and they had already done the very first thing I always tell people, which is, you know, if you got a performance problem and you think entity frameworks involved, first look to see what's going on in the database. So they had done that. They they were using EFProf and EF Profiler. They saw this crazy SQL. And so I said, All right, let's look at your model. And there was the TPT. And I said, yep. Can you can you change the model? And they said, No. I said, Use a stored procedure. And the it was an yep. or called the DBA went away. He came back a little while later. He's like, it's 0. 0.09 milliseconds. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a I got a data points column out of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think those um I think the coolest thing is that when we upgraded when uh, Entity Framework 4 came out and we upgraded one to four, and it was just a DLL upgrade. We saw most queries got 50% faster. And then we saw some got 100 to 200% faster. So you probably had, you, you know, there's a small area of queries where there was these kinds of problems and they did a lot of work on how, the, on how those command trees were being built. So you probably just happened to have a huge number of queries that fell into that narrow area of like severe problems. Yeah, and that's exactly what I, I think had happened. And because we, at that point, we, I think we had about 300 tables in that wonderful designer. <laughs> oh, in one model? To... One single model? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't do that anymore, though, right? Thank you. I mean, well, that's why we learned though. It's like point to the database and there's model. It's so easy, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. But I mean, back in the early days, we didn't, we didn't know any of this stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, so when code first came out, it was just like, oh my gosh, where have you been all my life? Yeah, although, you know, there are still a lot of people who the designer is really important to them. And I, I feel really bad for them with, you know, the the potential impact with 
that going away with the EF7. So I've been spending a lot of time explaining to people, you know, maybe you don't, you know, you don't have to move to EF7. EF6 is going to be around for a long time. If you see a lot of things in EF7 that you really, really, really want, but you don't want to give up your EDMX, there will be third-party support. I also feel bad because I think that a lot of people use code first. Yeah, they feel the same way. It's just like, don't want to be tied to the designer and code generation and all of that. And they go, oh, thank God, that stupid EDMX and designer are gone. And it's like, that is so unfair to so many people who have a lot invested in that. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. And I've got the the programming framework book right here. It's almost 900 pages. Is that, is that so, the first edition or second? Second edition this is, is... I think it's the second edition. Yeah, I think first was 832 and the second... The second... Now, coding, things got a lot easier with the second edition. So you'd think that the book would have been shorter because they wouldn't have had to explain so much. <laughs> but it was longer. <laughs> so how did that start? I, you, you said that the book needed to come out, but how did that genesis happen from knowing about entity framework to, hey, I need to write a book about this, and it's still in alpha, really? Well, I, I, it might have been out. It was, it was released by the time I started working on that first book. The genesis was 2006 TechEd in Boston, the ADO.net, some of the, like Pablo Castro and a couple of people from the ADO.net team invited some people to come and look at this new thing they're working on, right? So it didn't, it wasn't even called Entity Framework then, you know, it, and it was, it was coming out of Microsoft Research. I did not know about, I was not using an ORM back then. So I wasn't looking, they're going, you know, a cheap version of, <laughs> and hibernate or whatever. Hibernate, yeah. And also I wasn't jaded about Microsoft's previous attempts at an ORM. I just looked at this and went, Oh, that's cool. A new, you know, a new thing to learn. Cool. Right. So I played with it and, and, you know, I figured out how it worked and did some stuff with it. And one of the things that was, I think the most enticing for me was that all the stuff I was doing, I was, it was, I was figuring it out on my own and it was clear because there was no documentation. There was no information on it. So whenever I wrote a blog post about something, it was completely my own work. And I was really, really proud of that. And it was really fun. And so, you know, there was a whole lot of people who were just saying, uh, pff, they're never going to release that because, you know, look at the other ones they tried that never came out. And I was like, well, this is fun, you know, and I'm figuring it out. And the more I learned how to use it, the more I was interested in taking it further and answering questions and looking at patterns. And people would ask me questions that I hadn't thought of. I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, let me, I don't know, but let me go figure that out. So it, it was, it was that kind of a process. And then lo and behold, it got released and Microsoft said, this is our new data access platform. And we're not making any more investments in data sets and data readers. And I was the only one who knew anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, I guess I'm the world expert on this thing now. <laughs> and that was uh, kind of how that happened. <laughs> so it was it was completely by accident. It was, wasn't one of these things where you just had planned to be no. the entity framework guru. It no. just You just kind of fell into it. Yeah, yeah. I hear every once in a while somebody will say, and it's is a little embarrassing, but it's also like, no, no, you don't understand. Like a new a new technology will come out, and I've heard people have said to me, oh, I want to be the Julie Lerman of X, you know, like, but every but everybody wants to have that edge with every technology, uh, you know, every new thing that comes out, people are like on it because everybody wants to have that advantage. And it's just too hard now. Now, the entity framework being open source, you know, if I want to keep my edge, I have to work extra, extra hard because I don't have any advantage over anybody else. It's all public. I would I wouldn't want to be the Julie Lerman of anything. Promise I tr trust me guys. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, what's really interesting is that we were had another conversation, but we were talking about, you know, having a niche and, and whatnot. Your name had came up saying that, hey, you say entity framework, and the next word coming out of someone's mouth is, have you read Julie Learman's blank? Right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. Not my blank. With, um, I thought we John weren't going to talk about stuff like that on this podcast. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> nice. That's a good one. <laughs> But book or blog or article or whatever that is on any framework, you've really cornered that market on that. Pluralsight course, which is actually pretty darn awesome. Thank you. Working on another one. Although, you know, I also do not want to be a one-trick pony. And I'm not. I, you know, that's another thing I have to be careful about. I've been programming for a very long time. I've got, you know, a lot of kind of senior level experience and got a lot more to share than how to write this line of code or how to do this link query just from programming for like, I don't want to say how many decades because <laughs> not that it's too hard to find out how old I am these days, but yeah. For <laughs> decades. Yeah, decade. I don't talk about years anymore. <laughs> I'm talking about decades. <laughs> so sometimes people, somebody will hire me to you know, come in and work with their team. They're, oh, we got these entity framework problems. But I end up like helping them with the entity framework and talking about that, but also with much bigger picture stuff because they've got a lot more to bring to the table. I think that's one of the reasons DDD, Domain Driven Design, has appealed to me so much because it it's really big picture. It's really about thinking about the whole process from end, end to end about working with clients and structure and most I think the thing that appeals to me the most about DDD it's all about don't don't stress out like if something is stressing you out you probably need to do it differently like find a simpler way to do it mm. right and it that just really appeals to me these days I thought your Pluralsight course on domain driven design on, uh, and that was actually really good Thanks. Oh, Steve and I worked really hard on that because we had a a really critical goal with that, which was, you know, DDD is a vast topic and there's, it's really hard to figure out kind of where to start and, and the scope of it. Like, you know, like who's, who's an expert in DDD? Like Eric Evans, you know, like 10 people. So it's really, really hard. And it's sometimes, uh, Eric's book and Vaughn's books, they're a little daunting to people. And and they're long because they really do the whole end-to-end thing. So our goal was really to help people just get a grasp, uh, uh, something they could hold on to, that they could just learn some of the basic concepts and then go back to Eric's books and Vaughn's book and, and then read them and be able to go, Oh, now I get it. Now and now it's easier for me to get through this, so now I can get to that. And we've been getting exactly that feedback from people and it just it just warms the cockles of my heart. <laughs> it just it really makes me happy because that was Steve and my goal to really enable people to to get to assert uh, you know, get to a point where they're ready to go and really really benefit from those other resources. So I remember you saying that, you know, you don't want to be seen as a one trick pony. So outside of any new framework, and I know you just mentioned domain driven design, but are there any other interesting parts of, of programming or even in technology in general that you're really interested in, in right now? Well, I oh, there's always a million things that I want to learn about. Sometimes I put it off and put it off. So right now, you know, I'm kind of focused back on EF because EF7 is is coming out. And I've also been doing a lot of work still trying to help people take advantage of some of the concepts of DDD. So th- those are my big focuses. But I'm always like, I'll use my data points column as an excuse to like play with something that, you know, I'm curious about. So like I just did one on column and document DB. I, I even did a column, a data points column on Git, right? Like I found <laughs> an excuse to to do that. But it also gave me an angle to kind of dig in on a topic that I'd always, you know, had a hard time with. So yeah, there's nothing that's a big focus except really just this bigger picture. 
I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I've been at this for so long. I really am loving when I'm working with developers or teams and helping them kind of sort through the big monolith that they're looking at and that's uh, they're afraid of, like, oh, where do we begin? They're all connected to each other and helping them see see their way through and breaking things apart and getting them to a point where they're so much more comfortable with the task at hand that they're not afraid of it. I don't know. Maybe it's the Vermont hippie thing. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Can you send us some ice cream, please? Uh, it'd probably be a puddle by the time it gets there. <laughs> so can you can you tell us a little bit more about uh, how you got started in technology? Uh, part of me says accidentally, and the other, the as I, the older I get, the more I realize it was all I was always waiting for it, but I just didn't know. Like in my thirties, as I was pretty heavy into programming, I, I decided that high school suddenly made sense to me. Like everybody knew I was a geek. I just didn't yet. They treated me like one, <laughs> but I was like, why is everybody so mean to me? I'm like, oh, because I was a geek. Who knew? But I, you know, I fell into it. I was a history major in college. It took one basic class. I did well in it just, you know, because my mind worked that way, but I didn't think much of it. I don't mean I didn't think much of programming. I thought it was really fun. And we're talking about basic, not visual basic, basic on, uh, was it K-Pro computers that the math teachers had built by hand with, you know, that use a floppy disk. That was the program is on one floppy disk and your data was on the other. All right. Now you know how old I am, right? <laughs> like that was an ought something. Definitely last century. What I mean by I didn't think much of it was is that I didn't go, oh my God, you know, like a career, like it just wasn't something I'd ever thought of. I was a history major and I thought I wanted to make movies. You know, I really actually left after I graduated college, I went to New York and I really wanted, thought I wanted to get into the film industry, you know, like be a director or something like who wouldn't, right? Oh, glamorous. But it was more than just the Hollywood glamour. I'd been really inspired by art, film, and all that as as I'd been growing up. Anyway, so I got to New York and I had one dumb job, but then I got brought up to the accounting department and there was one, this was a company that had like a thousand employees and there was one computer in the whole company and my boss in the accounting department had it in his office. And within a week it was on my desk because I was like figuring stuff out. And it just kind of all went from there, right? Like as the the company got started getting PCs, everybody would come to me for help, and I would just figure stuff out. And then I, uh, my next job, there was this dog-eared book of DBase three something or other programming, and I kind of picked it up and taught myself how to program. And the rest is history. As they say, but I was self-taught for about fifteen years. The first formal training I had was a workshop I I took myself to because I I worked for myself. I flew myself out to California and took a four-day workshop with Deborah Carrada. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 That was the first. You're going to have training. Might as well have training with the best. Yeah. It was was awesome. So it was a multi-level wonderful experience because, you know, it was really my, my first exposure to like real programming. Now, it was doing like I was just always programming by hook or by crook, right? I didn't really know about structure and architecture and everything. So she was doing the whole OOP, object-oriented programming thing back then. And I think the VB5 book had just come out or maybe the VB6 book. I can't remember. So that was, you know, that was an incredible learning experience. But also she was a real inspiration to me, really, you know, to, and I had always grown up you know, my mom was is uh, was pretty independent and doing all kinds of cool stuff. And when I was in the Fox Pro community, when I was in lived in New York City after college, there was like some of the strong people in that community were women, right? So just like I never thought much of it. You know, it's like what seemed totally natural to me. And then you know, Miss Deborah Carada is like, yeah, that's just the way it is. <laughs> women are women are doing a lot. 
in that industry. But yeah, she's uh, had a huge impact on me. Because you know, well, you already know what I'm going to ask you. I'm pretty sure you know what I'm going to uh, ask no, you. No, I'm, I, I, I'm, I don't. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so, okay. So, a few... wait, isn't time up? <laughs> oh, <All right. laughs> look at that. 11 o'clock. Sorry, oh, bye. Man. Oh, clips. Awesome. Hangs up the phone. Hello? Drop the mic. <laughs> okay, go for and it. She's gone. Okay, I'm going to go for it. So, I think it was episode two for us. You know, we had Rachel along. And, you know, one of the things that we, we discussed was, you know, women in technology, right? My question yeah, to you would be, you, you know, you what do if- understand Rachel Appel is not your ordinary woman. <laughs> she is a take Rachel no is something special. I'm not gonna lie. She's very special. Take no prisoners. <laughs> yeah, yes. she doesn't take any. Yes, true. Yeah, Rachel is definitely, definitely very special. You know, do you have any words of advice or any words of encouragement for young women and young girls that are, are trying to get into technology today? Follow your heart and don't listen to they they need a they really do need a Rachel Appel <laughs> like to you know push the way through for them. I'm not as uh I don't have quite as much chutzpah as she does. You know, I really want to what I really, really want to say is I'm not as ballsy as she is, but it's just so <laughs> stupid to say about women, right? Like I wish we had a t I wish we had an equal term. Like booby just doesn't work. <laughs> it just has no meaning. Well, different meaning. Oh, maybe ovaries. Maybe no, no, no. Uh, There's just nothing like ballsy. <laughs> Kahuna's. You know, I I was really fortunate because for me, it was just never. It, I was brought up in a way that it just wasn't even an issue. So I really never thought twice about it, and I've been really fortunate. And this point also i don't i am like this middle-aged married lady like so i don't get harassed or anything like <laughs> you know what i mean i think people have a lot of respect for me so i don't get a lot of the stuff i know some younger women like some of the problems that younger women have anyway i you know i just it's just i i've never felt out of place really i just always have felt that I belong where I am, and I am where I belong, and I think it's uh, important to to carry that with you wherever you go. So there. Well said. Yes, well said. Well, going back to your history of history, do you still study history or find yourself still gravitated towards that? Nope. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> nope. Not really. I mean, you know. Uh, I, I don't like read history books or anything like that. I've more, you know, like kind of the Vermont lifestyle. So when I'm not in front of the computer and I don't use the computer for my entertainment, like, cause I know a lot of, a lot of us game and, and do stuff like that. So when I'm not working, I'm away from the computer, you know, whether I go out skiing or ride my bike or play in the garden or walk the dog or just hang out. And watch TV or Doctor Who or whatever. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I'm Another not. Whovian. Well, you know, it's really funny. I was never a big sci-fi person, and it's just all of our peeps are all. We're always talking about Doctor Who. So I just last couple of years ago, I finally, you know, we got Netflix streaming. So I started watching with the the modern one, the 2005, and just watched. I probably watched like three or four episodes a week and just got through all of that. And not only that, but I actually just read Dune for the first time. Like, oh. I don't read sci-fi either. I read a ton of novels. I read lots and lots of novels, but I don't read sci-fi. But I read it. My, you know, my mom's a writer. My dad is a business guy who went to Wharton School of Business. You know, he's not a creative person. My mom's a real creative person person. And I was talking to my dad and he he loves uh um Graham. And I love Graham, but I never get to watch it cuz my husband just totally doesn't get it. He'd rather watch like Hawaii 50, which I look at that and it's what? like it's just like <laughs> eight-year-olds playing in the backyard 
boom, boom, boom. You know, it's like, it's so stupid. <laughs> it's on the same time as Grimm, you know? So I love Grimm. And I was at my parents' house and my mom and my dad and I watched it. And I, was, and I hadn't seen it in so long. My dad was catching, like, wait a minute. She's not a Grimm. Oh, she is now. Wait, he's a Grimm. Oh, he's not anymore. Like, you know, dad was explaining it all to me. So we were talking about it and he brought up Dune and he said, you know, I really loved, I read that book a long time ago. I loved it because I loved how he had really created a whole new world. And I was like, oh, I'm going to read Dune then I'll have something to talk to my dad about. And I loved it. And now I'm reading Dune Messiah. So cool. there. Yeah, I loved That's it. That's fantastic. Yeah. I just finished an, another sci-fi book called The Martian. Have you read that one yet? No, but I've I've certainly heard about that. And they're making a movie oh, of that, right? They they are. And it was as good as advertised. Oh, okay. It so it's really good. I don't I don't go well, we never go to the movies and we're kind of like stupidly stuck with Netflix streaming, so we never really see anything new or good. <laughs> right. But I don't usually go for sci-fi movies either. I just, you know, don't think of it. And I was on a plane and I saw and I'm not a comics book, comic book person either. Okay. I saw Guardians of the Galaxy and I just loved it. <laughs> I loved it. And I didn't even know until very recently that that was the green girl, the green woman was Amy Pond. Like, I didn't know that was her. Yes. Well, well, no, she was, she played the poor, Amy, uh, poor actress. She, like, played, what's the, her name? she played the Pond. sister of of Gamora which was the green girl. Right, right. Yeah, so she had actually her head shaved in everything. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. It was so fun. So I guess I guess what I'm saying is, you know, I should be reading more sci-fi and watching more of those movies. I don't think I'd be a comics person. I don't I mean I haven't, you know, I don't like the violent super violent movies, so so a lot of the, there's so many comic book movies out now. I mean, this wasn't, this was just fun. It was silly and fun. So I was, yeah, I don't, I don't yeah, think I, it's going to be my new thing, but yeah, I'd watch another one. And I, what was another one? Oh, duh. oh, Hellboy. <laughs> really? Yes. But after, after a while, like I got bored with it, but. I thought that was so fun. <laughs> so it's like, we, you know, it's kind of humor, right? It's a lot. It's kind of far out stuff. Yeah, it doesn't take itself too seriously. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, I know Cecil and I were, were pretty big comic movie fans. Yeah. What have you seen lately? Oh, The Avengers. The Avengers 2 just came out. See, and you say uh, The Avengers, and I think of the TV shows from the 60s. Wow. With the... Um, the uh the yes. the jaguar and the e-type jaguar she used to uh, drive what is that um mrs peel yeah that yeah her? is that wasn't that the avengers isn't that the avengers, the avengers. what are you talking yes, it was. about <laughs> with the uh crappy remake by um oh, sean connery yep yep i remember that yep that was oh, terrible yeah. i saw that and i just remember going no don't smash the e-type Oh, I'll take it. It's always been my dream, dream car. Because, and you know, it's a perfect car for Vermont when you live up on a dirt road and snow. <laughs> and I can, you know, throw the Newfoundland in the back of the car and the kayaks on top. Yeah, it's a perfect car for Vermont. <laughs> hey, that, that's okay. I have, I have a convertible in Miami. Oh, wait, that actually does make sense. Never mind. Oh, I know about your convertible. Oh, you do, huh? Do you? What do you know about his convertible? Well, no. I when I was down there, I was down there oh, working with right. a client, and I rented. I was. I'd had, it had been a long winter here in Vermont, so I rented a Mustang convertible, and I was supposed to meet you guys very nearby for dinner the first night I got there. And when I had picked the car up, the car rental car, the top was down. And then I drove to the place, the hotel I was staying at, and I couldn't figure out how to put the top up. I couldn't find the button, right? And the last convertible I owned was a, uh, it, it did not have a button, but I knew that these modern ones, <laughs> I knew there was a button somewhere. I couldn't find it. <laughs> and I kept texting you going, uh, I'm late, uh, another five minutes because I'm an idiot, uh, another 10 minutes. And 
had I asked you, yeah, so I finally figured it out, right? I'm like 20 minutes late getting there. And you're like, I tell you, yeah, I have you know this Mustang convertible. I couldn't figure out how to put the top up. And you're like, Go, look over there. That's my car. It was the same exact car, the same <laughs> model, everything. If I same had color. Just, if I had just texted, can't figure out, you know, I was too humiliated. Can't figure out how to put the top up for the Mustang. You would have been like, oh, it's the button. It's up there. Yeah. Look up, Julie. <laughs> Julie, look up. Well, it wasn't a very obvious looking button. No, I looked no, it was everywhere. I looked on the inside yeah. of the door, you know, like I had just everything. Like it should... Yeah, I had a I had a I had a ninety eight Mustang and it was over by the the brake, the handbrake, right? And it was right there and that made sense. And so when I got this new car, I'm like, I had no idea where to put down the oh, top. I, I feel was, better. I was oh. I was in your boat. Plus, you know, so it's up at the it it was on the um uh rearview mirror or somewhere up there, right? So the, right. the top's down. So I'm looking up there. The sun's in my eyes. So I can't see the, I couldn't see <laughs> up there anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it, it, is, it is kind of, it is kind of hidden. I, I wasn't, I wouldn't expect it but the, to be the there. The bottom line is, yes, I know very well what you drive. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm looking online on our Twitter feed and there's a question here from Rob Sullivan. And Rob wants oh. to know. If you were to talk about your role as an official free online support person for Entity Framework. <laughs> yes. Did you did you then see my response to him? <laughs> that's hilarious. Not letting that cat out of the bag. That's hilarious. Yeah, because, you know, that's a secret. Don't let yeah. anybody know. No, that's what my, my husband always says. What does he say? I volunteer for Microsoft or work for free for Microsoft or who knows? How can I how 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 can I not answer if somebody asks me a question? What am I going to do? Ignore them? Say no? Go Google. Yeah, I mean, it. if you have the answer, I mean, you know, why not? I mean, I think yeah. that's the that's the whole point of community too. You know, it, it's almost like I feel like you've built the entity framework community. To be honest with you, to to some extent, right? Because well, I mean, throughout your books and throughout the, all the content you put out. I question would people even be as interested if you didn't have all of that material out there, because your stuff oh, makes I'm it sure. Because, well, that you know that the Entity Framework team now and the content that they have is really, really excellent, and all of the different people on the team who blog and everything being open source and the information they put out. Rowan is Rowan Miller is just an excellent presenter. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, he's done a whole bunch of videos, tech ed talks, things. Yeah, he is excellent. He, he practices. He's, he's, I practice too, but I'm not as meticulous as he is. That is awesome. Uh, You know, he co-authored the two little books with me. Little, those are the ones that were under 800 pages. (laughs) They were only like 250. And, um, and it was, it was a really good collaboration between what each of us bring to the table. He he brought like his very intimate knowledge of Entity Framework, of course, because he's a program manager, but also he is extremely meticulous, which uh, is a good balance for me because I care a lot about being right about stuff, but he'll work that much harder at it. Yeah, he's gotcha. he's good. So anyway, so I'm just saying that I think back, especially when I wrote those first two books, there really wasn't much else out there in depth and accessible. But I really think that the team and the content that is coming from Microsoft is excellent now. Like, oh, nobody no. needs me anymore. Not really. No, Not really. Because, no. I, you know, <laughs> I have a different perspective. Plus, I can say whatever the hell I want because I don't work for Microsoft. Exactly. Aha, uh-huh, just kidding. Right. Oh, wait. Right. Why did I say that? <laughs> My MVP is coming up in a couple of weeks. <laughs> uh, whoops. <laughs> whoops. <laughs> it's definitely a pleasure speaking with Julie. If you enjoyed this episode, leave a comment on the website at awayfromthekeyboard.com or on Twitter at AFTK Podcast. You can also follow me at Cecil Phillip 
and Rishi at Jarris. That's J O R R I S S. Yeah, because I like to make it easy on people to spell my Twitter handle. You need handle. to have these word names that nobody can understand. <laughs> <laughs> you can subscribe to the show via the website or on iTunes. And if you really want to know what makes us tick, sign up to our newsletter where you'll get extra episodes and behind the scenes access to Away from the Keyboard. And the extra episode will go out this week, so sign up today. Awayfromthekeyboard.com slash newsletter. Next on Away From The Keyboard, we'll have a conversation with business intelligence expert, Luis Figura. I'm seeing a caveman right now, right, looking at a wheel without thinking about the problem they're trying to solve. And they probably walked by that wheel and did not pay attention. But mm-hmm. one day they needed to move things from one place to another and things were heavy. And it's like, ah, oh, got it, right? So it's like kind of same scenario. So you find an application, you find an interesting problem to solve, and then suddenly the tools become that much more interesting. That's going to be fun. See you next time. We want to thank you for listening to Away From The Keyboard. As a reminder, we will have new episodes each and every week. You can interact with us on Twitter at AFTK Podcast or at awayfromthekeyboard.com. Hasta luego. She's still on the call. I'm on a call. I looks like she's oh, still she on the call. No, she's off now. At least she's off of mine. Oh, she's calling back, and then she's gone. No, no. What mind. is what? What is happening? I have I no idea. Yes. Let me call you back. Did Did you just what? butt Skype me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on there? I I, I hope not. <laughs> like, are you butt dialing me? If, Oh, that's what that button does. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Button. Get it, button. Okay, Ah. you didn't need me again, did you? No, we didn't. We're we're going to call. Okay, bye. Yeah, we're good. Thanks. All right, bye. That's hilarious. That's what that that did. (laughs) Yeah, don't push that button.